Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello, I'm Mario Toniguzzi, Managing Editor of Canada's Podcast. Today on Edmonton's podcast, my guest is Gary Lamphere, who is Principal of Lamphere Communications. Thanks for joining us today, uh, Gary. Oh, my pleasure, Mario. Good to see you again. Okay, now I neglected in the intro to mention that you're a veteran journalist, business journalist of more than 30 years uh, with places like the Edmonton Journal, Vancouver Sun, Globe and Mail, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times of Canada, probably more. <laughs> we'll get into that uh, uh, a little later in the uh, podcast. But let me uh, just ask you, first of all, Gary, tell me what you're up to these days and what you do now. Sure, yeah. So I'm a communications consultant. So I uh, work on a wide variety of projects, whether it's website contact for a, content for a private client or University of Alberta, the School of Medicine, uh, Department of Psychiatry. I've done some work for them. Uh, and it really just depends. The, the nature of the work depends on the needs of the client. Of course, it's all over the map. Sometimes I'll do a little bit of media relations. If, let's say, uh, a researcher has done some interesting stuff and wants some publicity, I'll try to help with that. So, again, just depends on their needs. Okay, so tell us the story of how you got to where you are now and and uh, doing this. Sure. Uh, well, as you mentioned, uh, I worked as a business reporter slash columnist for 30 plus years in a variety of publications and cities across the country. Uh, wound up in Edmonton in 02 and worked as a business uh, columnist for the Edmonton Journal until I retired from there in 2016, a little over seven years ago, which kind of knocks me out to think that it's been that long already. But um, And so I decided about three months after I retired to put out a shingle and start uh, advertising uh, my services as a communications consultant. I did that for a period of about four plus years in Vancouver during a sort of, I don't know, uh, break from the world of journalism. So that was from 98 till 02. So I, I had some skills that I developed from those days. And I decided to utilize that to Try and make some 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 money um, as a semi-retired guy, as I say. I yeah. retired from newspapers, so I have a bit of a pension, but uh, I needed to top that up and also keep active. So that's what I'm doing. Join our thriving community of like-minded individuals who share a passion for success and innovation. Canada'spodcast.com. Subscribe now. You know, for for a long time, journalists, how difficult. Uh, was it to make that transition? Uh, you know, uh, you know, we grew up in this industry. Uh, you sure. and I have, have almost seen two opposing camps: the journalists and the communications are spin doctors, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do you consider yourself a spin doctor now? Uh, if I am, I'm a pretty crappy one, I have to say. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I'm basically telling stories from a different yeah. perspective, from the perspective of a guy trying to help a client get their story out and often the stories I'm telling now as a as a communications advisor are pretty freaking complicated you know I mean the world of science trying to explain how a brain scientist's research yeah. translates into potentially a medication or a treatment for people with depression or anxiety issues that's complicated stuff so that's the skill set but uh, I'll, just going back to what I said earlier in the intro I did do this for four, four, four or five years in Vancouver and during those years, um, I was a more conventional corporate communications um, communi uh, advisor. So I was working with publicly traded companies, yeah. technology companies, biotech companies, resource companies, helping them tell their story. So at that juncture in my life, I was doing things like quarterly conference call scripts, 
uh, corporate presentations to investors, uh, advising on media communications, if a yeah. company had some kind of issue that it had to address. So that was a little bit more corporate and big picture. The yeah. stuff I'm doing now is with small, smaller clients, and many of them are private. So yeah. it all comes down, whether it's a journalist or whether it's a communications person, it all comes down to the storytelling, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Trying to engage people so that they kind of have some understanding of what it is the client is doing and trying to convey to them. Um, and it's, uh, you know, often, and you'll know this, Mario, uh, when you talk to people that are neck deep in what they do, they are immersed in it. Uh, they kind of lose touch with the way the world perceives them. Yeah. Well, they think the rest of the world gets what they're doing because in their own minds, it's really, really important. Yeah. And, uh, but it's not so easy for them to communicate what they're doing to the broader world. So that's kind of where we, we fit in. Yeah. So what makes, in your mind, what makes a good story? People. I think that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, people always make stories more interesting. It's just about numbers. You know, you lose people pretty quick. Yeah. Um, you have to communicate um, the, the way it's going to change people's lives if there's some like human impact. Yeah. of what the client is doing, whether it's uh, in the world of psychotherapy, brain science, uh, pharmacy. Uh, one of my clients is a, uh, a very entrepreneurial woman who's really got some pretty cool ideas in terms of how to roll out medications to third world countries, if I can use that term, or developing countries yeah. in Africa. Huh. And um, she's trying to um, serve as a kind of intermediary between the world of pharmaceuticals and the end user in African countries where they don't have the money um, to typically uh, buy or dispense pharmaceuticals to their populations. So she's got some pretty big picture ideas that are pretty interesting. And uh, one little story that I communicated to uh, the media recently about her is that she's got some interesting backers in the U.S. and Silicon Valley and elsewhere. Mm. And they funded a billboard in Times Square for her little company, her little tiny little Edmonton company. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we got some interest in local media here in Edmonton yeah. uh, about that because it's kind of cool when a little company locally gets uh, on the big screen in Times Square. So, yeah, that's just kind of an example of kind of offbeat stuff that I do. You'll have to send me their contact info because it sounds like a good topic uh, for, for me as a podcast. Sure. <laughs> Actually, that is a that's a great idea. Be happy to. Yeah, you know what? It's funny you 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 talk about the human element, right? And I, I've done uh, some media relate uh, or media training for companies as well over the last few years, and and always bring this up, and always bring up the example of you know when uh, when taxes go up, property taxes or whatever, say in a in a neighborhood, you know the Calgary Herald would go grab grab little Granny Smith and. Uh, uh, who lived in my inner city neighborhood or seeing her taxes going up senior yeah. uh, you know and what impact it has but but the, that human element uh, is something that obviously grabs people's attentions more than as you said the numbers i was going to ask you I, how you know from now sitting on that side of the fence so to speak uh approaching the media you know what are your thoughts today about approaching the media? We all know what's happened to the media over the mm -hmm. over the last, say, five to ten years, but more so in the last five years. How difficult is it to approach the media with stories these days? Well, yeah, it's a tough sell. I mean, let's be honest. 
because newsrooms, as you alluded to, have shrunk so much. I'll give you a concrete example. When I came to Edmonton in 02 to be their business columnist, we had a 10-person business department. So yep. we had reporters with dedicated beats, forestry, manufacturing, mining, oil and gas, transportation, you name it. When I walked out the door in December 20, uh, 2016, seven years ago, I was the last surviving member of that 10-person department. Yeah, And this is a 100-plus-year-old newspaper. So I was the last guy who was a dedicated business journalist at a 100-plus-year-old newspaper walking out the door. Yeah, And uh, so, yes, it's tough because there are fewer bodies and certainly way fewer business, dedicated business bodies. Oh, yeah. So if, you, if you're covering business stories, tougher to engage a general assignment reporter uh, on a complex business story. Yeah. So uh, you got to keep it short and sweet. Uh, timeliness is crit critical, right? So whatever is happening in the 24-hour news cycle that day, if you can tie into that, that's great. That's a big plus. Um, trust is important. Like you and I, you and I have been around the block a few times, so people know us. In yeah. The, you know the people that have survived in these newsrooms know us. It, you know, if you're coming in as a fresh face, it's tougher. Um, and I think just being able to connect the dots for people, like when you pitch them, you have to do a lot of the legwork that are, you would expect in the old days a reporter to do. Yeah, that's so true. But when you do the pitch, you're like presenting a story on a platter, basically. Yeah. And I've had people tell me, wow, there was so much info in your release, I hardly had to do any research, right? <laughs> well, I consider that, you know, thank you very much, a compliment, because that's my job now. Yeah. To try and do the work that a reporter would have to, because they have no time. Right. So fewer bodies means less time. And often they're doing two and three stories a day, not one. So yeah. and what yeah. you what you described there, Gary, for Edmonton is uh the same story from uh, from every say post media newspaper from Vancouver to Montreal, right? Uh, the same uh, issue. Uh, you know, I know at the Herald the same okay. thing. Like I think when when I left the Herald and uh, so it would have been uh, uh, January of 2016. Yeah, January mm -hmm. 2016. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, coming up to eight years actually next yeah. week. Uh, next week is eight, eight years. Uh, anyways, uh, same thing. Like, uh, you know, uh, we had newsroom. I think we had even more than 10 at one point uh, in business, mm -hmm. in business because of the yeah. oil and gas sector, et cetera. And uh, it was just literally like one or two left uh, when I was gone. So it's. How it, many are there now? Do you know? Off the top. Uh, no idea. Uh, you know, yeah, so I, there's, there's Chris Marco. I see his stuff, but yeah, he's still around. Uh, so, so there are there are uh, you know a couple of the old veterans, uh, but uh, but then you know the thing is uh, you multiply that across the board. So it's sports and it's arts and entertainment and it's city mm -hmm. and politics. All those departments, not just business. All those departments, I got that. So it does make it from a, a communications standpoint much much tougher. For, uh, for people to uh, get their story across. What time, you know, when when you look, you know, and you spend a, a good chunk of time here in Alberta, uh, you know, what do you see in the Alberta, uh, um, I guess, economy these days? What, what are you sensing uh, is happening with this province? Uh, well, there's, I get in the broad sense, I get the feeling that we're in some sort of a weird, limbo or pause i don't know what the right word is interregnum or something yeah um, because looks look at the big picture national election in the u.s this year in the fall that's huge yeah. 
uh, our own federal election, you know, next year, possibly even earlier, who knows? Yeah. Who, yeah. Um, and I think that's going to have a huge bearing on the future of our key industry, oil and gas, uh, whichever way those two elections go. Uh, because I'll just draw, pull back from that specific question for a moment to give you um, a little bit more context. So when I left the journal in 2016, there were a bunch of reasons, but one of the key reasons was I really reached the point in my career where I felt that I couldn't report on business anymore um, in the way that I traditionally had. Politics had totally usurped business huh. in the most important industry in this province. And so yeah. all the, the, the big decisions were political decisions. They weren't business decisions anymore. True. And I felt, gee, I mean, that, what's what's my point? What's my purpose in life here in this newsroom <laughs> where really the, the decisions about the companies I cover aren't being made by the companies I cover? They're being made in Ottawa or, or elsewhere. So um, I just think since that time, since 2015 when Trudeau uh, was elected um, and since Biden uh, was elected, I think it's like the whole energy world is kind of on pause. And uh, yes, we've got record production. And yes, the U.S. has record production. And yes, prices are still pretty good. Um, and companies are very profitable. And the balance sheets are cleaner than in a long time. But nonetheless, there's still kind of a stymied sense of investment or, future, or confidence in investment over the long term. And, you know, we've got issues like this Trans Mountain Pipeline never ending. and yeah, budget budget just going through the roof. I, just, I can't believe the numbers now that we see. So you just wonder how much stinky politics underlies those numbers. And uh, yeah, until that gets cleaned up and investors have confidence again in investing big sums of money, tens of billions of dollars in projects, I think we're going to be stuck in this kind of limbo. And uh, you know, there could be a sea change if if Biden's gone, if Trudeau's gone, and the uh, leaders that succeed them are kind of two thumbs up for oil and gas again. And uh, the kind of preoccupation with emissions, which I'm, you know, a tad skeptical of, and I think you probably guessed. Um, mm. If that dissipates, um, then I think it could be a new day. In mm. the meantime, we're doing pretty good, having said all that, you know, right? Like the massive population growth, uh, house prices are, you know, up significantly in Calgary, not so much in Edmonton, but Calgary yeah. again. Um, and our GDP, I think, led the nation last year. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're probably going to do okay this year within a you know, kind of sea of difficulty in Canada. Yeah. In relative terms, we'll do okay. So, and that's a long-winded answer to a short question. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. So, you know, when you look at the oil and gas sector, right, uh, obviously the bread and butter uh, for this province for, for yeah. decades, for decades, uh, it's been under attack. Uh, it, it's been... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of calls over the years for uh, diversifying the economy, et cetera. Yet it's still our go-to, right, industry? Absolutely. And will yeah. continue to be, right? Yeah, well, we're, what, 80% of Canada's supply, and Canada is fourth biggest oil producer in the world, fifth biggest natural gas, I think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, on a positive note, we've got the Canada LNG plant coming on in BC, the coastal gas link pipeline being completed. Um, and so there's, you know, a little, little bit of, uh, you know, enthusiasm, uh, bullishness in the natural gas sector, given that. And uh, now who knows? I mean, maybe 10 years from now, we'll see this fleet of LNG plants that Christy Clark promised 10 years ago. 
<laughs> her timing was a little off, but maybe it'll actually happen. If it yeah. does, I think that'd be great for Canada and great for Alberta. Discover the latest trends, strategies, and success stories in the ever-evolving world of business. Canada'spodcast.com. Subscribe now. Now, uh, you know, uh, when you started, say, uh, your career, start, uh, not started a career, but started uh, at the at the journal and writing business, uh, how has the business environment in Alberta changed? And I'm thinking more in terms of the types of businesses. Obviously, like back then, oil and gas was everything, right? Uh, and oh. Today, you know, we're seeing smaller, you know, uh, pockets of, of growth in what technology, even alternative energy, uh, yeah. agri-food and, and all that. Uh, uh, is it, it's been a big change over the years that you've seen? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, one, i give you one specific example. One of our homegrown companies in Edmonton is Stantec. Yes. So I remember writing stories early on at the journal saying, oh, we have our first billion dollar company, yeah. Stantec. And then we added another Canadian Western Bank. And, uh, and the capital power was a third. So I, I just up for fun the other day, I chucked Stantec's market cap. It's like $12.5 billion today. And yeah. it's a global company, right? They're all over the planet. Yeah. So, um, and that's massive. They've got tens of thousands of employees. Uh, so it's grown, it's mushroomed. And, uh, and there are others not not as uh, dramatic in terms of their growth, but steady eddy growers, and uh, so it has diversified our economy. And I th I think the the future looks bright for agriculture. I think it's a sector where there's you know great global demand for our products, um, high quality products. Uh, there's innovation happening, um, but I, you know I also I also have to say if I'm honest that uh, we sometimes get a little bit um, dazzled by the prospect of economic transformation through innovation. Yeah. I'll tell you what I mean by that. So um, when I started working as a journalist in the late 70s and early 80s, there was all this talk about Canada in Ontario outside of Ottawa becoming yeah. Silicon Valley North, right? Well, you know, 40 plus years, almost half a century later, right? We've got some success stories. It's true. but I think if you added up all the tech companies in Canada, they wouldn't be equal a quarter of one Microsoft, right? So I, I think we got to get real too about what we can do in terms of diversification, mm -hmm. in terms of scale. Um, yes, we can diversify. Uh, and there are a thousand opportunities out there to do that in smaller ways. And maybe out of those thousand opportunities, we'll develop two or three, you know, mid-size publicly traded companies. Yeah, uh, that may happen. But that's kind of the opportunity as I see it. Yeah, um, I, I think we have to get real about what we can do. We are relatively isolated. We don't have the population of big U.S. states like California. So no, that's that's true. So Gary, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still an oil and gas booster. That's where <laughs> I think our future is. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people are with you on that. So Gary, over the years, you've obviously talked to a lot of uh, quote unquote movers and shakers out there in the business world. Um, you know, uh, Alberta's kind of been known for its uh, entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, uh, do you like? Is that like a, a an image that's been concocted out there to to sell to everybody, or is it something that you've truly seen over the years that we do really have this entrepreneurial spirit in this province? Oh, I, I think it's real. I think it's genuine, and uh, I say that as a guy who grew up in Ontario. 
and spent 13 years in BC before coming here. I think it's in the DNA of the province. Um, I think, uh, I, and I can't count the number of entrepreneurs I've talked to who started from nothing and built real companies. I mean, Stantec's an example, right? Yeah, there you uh, go. Massive company, um, but many, many others that built companies of scale by starting out with a pickup truck. And uh, it's kind of, you know, um, it's 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 a bit of a, I mean, some people people may think it's kind of a myth, but uh, it's true. I've seen them, and yeah. I think if we do get the wind in our sails again in the oil and gas industry, if we do see political change, and there is a renewed confidence in investing, that's going to trickle down to all these mom and pop companies and all these uh, service providers, and 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 well beyond the oil and gas industry to all the other industries. I mean, you and I will remember the days when uh, they couldn't hire people in fast food restaurants. Oh yeah. They're they offering them like 20 bucks an hour to yeah. serve burgers yeah. because of, you know, jo- uh, empl- a shortage of employees. They're all being sucked away by the oil and gas boom. And so nobody wanted to work in other industries. Um, I don't think we want to see that again. Exactly. Uh, we want uh, you know, people to enter a variety of fields and industries and develop the talent base here. But um, I-, I do think that, Entrepreneurialism is a is a real part of the fabric here in Alberta, and uh, I, I think it will remain so. I'm confident of that. All right, wonderful. Well, uh, thanks very much, uh, Gary, for taking the time today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mario. Thanks, a, ple- a great pleasure to chat with you again. All right, super. That was Gary Lampier, who is the principal of Lampier Communications in Edmonton, and also a former uh, business columnist and journalist. Uh, with various newspapers uh, and publications over the years. I'm Mario Taniguzzi, Managing Editor of Canada's Podcast, today on Edmonton's Podcast. Thanks for joining us.